This morning we are going to be taking up in Genesis chapter 44 as we are going verse by verse through the book of Genesis. And uh, before we get into Genesis 44, I want to do a small review on what we covered last week just to kind of keep us all in context of where we are this morning. But this morning I'm actually going to be hitting uh, this chapter a little bit differently because there's 34 verses within this chapter instead of the usual where I read the whole chapter and then come back and, and break it apart piece by piece, I'm just going to break it apart piece by piece, and we're just going to, I'm going to teach as we go. And so it's a little variation on how I normally teach it, but when there's a lot of narrative within a text, I like to, I, I prefer to do it that way. Just that way we don't forget what happened, and it just keeps it all in content for us and all in context. So uh, last week, we saw that Joseph's brothers came before him uh, the second time. And we saw that, you know, Joseph, he had dictated how they were going to have relationship with him. That he said, listen, he says, if you bring Benjamin, your younger brother, he says, then it'll all be well and you will see my face. He says, but if you do not bring Benjamin with you, he says, know this for sure, you will not see my face. And when he even sent the brothers out, do you guys remember? He literally took Simeon, because remember, he, he threw them in jail for like three days just to give them what's what. And then he sent them away, but before he sent the rest of the brothers away, he took Simeon, and right in front of their faces, he bound them, he bound him, and sent him off to the dungeon. That'd be a kind of a scary moment, wouldn't it? And so that happened, and he said, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. If, you. if you come before me in the way that I am declaring, he says, then you will have fellowship with me. He says, you'll be able to trade freely in the land. It'll all be good. And we saw how within that, a similitude was created. Now, a similitude is a theological term. It just basically means something that has the state of being similar to something else. Okay, it's, it's real basic. They, they use big words to describe simple things. And basically, what we had is Joseph took the part of God the Father. Benjamin was a type, a, a similitude of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and the steward in Joseph's house was a type of the Holy Spirit. And as we looked through the whole thing, we saw how it, it was just amazing how they really fit those pieces very well. And that, that similitude isn't throughout the whole story of Joseph, but in, in that portion of Scripture, we saw it where it was literally the people, the brothers who represent us, coming before God at his judgment seat. And we had this beautiful picture how when they came with Benjamin, with the quote-unquote son, and, and Joseph even calls him son, which he's his brother, but he calls him son in the text. And we see as the brothers come with Christ, with Jesus, in Christ, that Joseph doesn't say anything to them at, at, the, at the seat of judgment in the, in the city gates, but he allows them to pass. He, he speaks to his steward, the Holy Spirit, and says, take them to my home to my dwelling place, prepare a feast for them, because for I am going to eat with them today. And so they pass the judgment seat without one word of condemnation from Joseph, just as believers will pass by the judgment seat of God without one word of condemnation against us. And they, they went to Joseph's personal dwelling, and there a feast was set for them, a feast uh, fit for kings, and they sat in front of his table before him. And it literally said, and, and this was that just amazing uh, truth that we see in scriptures, that Joseph himself rose and he took from his table and he placed it before them. And there's this startling 
truth that, you know, we think, hey, you know what? God, the, the God of the universe, the God who created us, the God who knows every hair of our heads, one day, you know, we're, we're going to be before him in that throne and we will be bowing before him, his servants, his slaves, and we will worship him for all eternity. But there's more to it than just that. Because the scriptures say that throughout all of eternity, God is going to be demonstrating his grace unto his people, those who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that sounds like a startling imagery there. But what that means is, uh, even Scott talked about it, it's the, the, that doctrine of substitution, that for those who accept in faith that Christ has died on their behalf, God will no longer look at their sin, but he will look at Christ, and he will look at the righteousness of Christ, and he will, as he said, impute it to us. And that is an amazing truth that was demonstrated in the similitude last week. So we come now to Genesis chapter 44. And <laughs> I, I can't help but to feel, I wouldn't say sorry for his brothers, because what they're about to go through this morning, they deserve all of it. Every single bit, every last uh, feeling of terror and anxiety that ha they have felt through this entire trial, they deserve. You know, after what they did to Joseph, I, I don't feel sorry for him in that sense, but as they go through this, this greatest trial of their lives, I don't feel glad that they're going through it. I don't feel this, oh, they're getting what they deserve. <laughs> but you know, I, I have this sense of mercy for them because are they really so different than any of us? And the answer is no. And so as we, as we go through Genesis chapter 44 this morning, I, it is my desire that you would look upon them and not just say, oh, you know, those guys who sold their brother into slavery and have lied to their dad and everything, saying that he was dead and the whole bit, and looking on them with condemnation. But I would ask this morning as we go through this text that you would look upon these lives through the eyes of God, through the eyes of Christ, who does not desire for any to perish, for any wicked to die in their sin, but he desires for all to be saved. And we're coming to the climax of the story of Joseph. It's going to happen next week. Okay, we're, we're rapidly, you see, we're, we're on that spot, you know, when you're on a, a, a ride at like Disneyland or Six Flags or something like that, and you're going, and it's clicking, 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 and you're getting higher. And if you've ever been on a really tall ride that goes really fast, and it just seems like you're going up and up and up and up forever and ever. And it's taking a while before Joseph is going to reveal himself to his brothers, isn't it? And it's like every week it's like, okay, is it now? Is it yet? Is it here now? And we're going click, click, click. And, and even though it seems like, it's like, gosh, how long, how long can we possibly continue moving forward, going up, going up, going up, each click draws us closer to the beauty of what we're going to see next week. Each click draws us closer to the revelation of Joseph to his brothers, a picture, a type of how Christ one day will be revealed to us. Ever, every day that passes, every day that demonstrates God's long-suffering, every day that passes that shows God's faithfulness to the unjust brings us closer to that day. Join with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. 
Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Now, at this moment in Joseph's life, what's going on, everything that has been surrounding him, all of the pain, all of the sorrow, bringing to the point where he first saw his brothers come before him and bowed before him, you know, fulfilling his dream. And then the anger that originally swelled forth from him that he, he had to, you know, he, he had to give them a little bit of their own medicine, throw them in the jail. And then he realized, it's like, you know what, that's not the only dream. He remembered the dreams that God gave him. That's like, okay, I'm going to bring my family here. And God began working on Joseph, and not just forgiving in word, but in, in deed. He, his heart began to change towards his brother. We see that in that the mercy and the grace that he gave to them. And now he has them here before, and they fulfilled everything that he required, right? He said, hey, if, if you want to see my face, if you want to have fellowship before me, then you need to bring Benjamin. So they've done that. They've proven that they're not indeed thieves or spies in the land. So Joseph has a choice now. Two choices, really, and that's actually the, the name of the study this morning. There's two choices. Joseph has two choices sitting before him. Do I allow them to leave knowing that the famine is going to bring them back to me and wait for a later time where I can now address them again and hopefully make an opportunity for us to be able to be reconciled to one another? Or choice number two does he confront them now and force them to face their past? That is the choice before Joseph. But the thing that is going to dictate Joseph is that he has this great longing to reveal himself to his brothers. Remember what we saw before when he saw Benjamin? Remember what happened? Do you remember when the brothers came the first time? Do you remember what he did? He saw me speaking to them, and both times, what did he do? He had to get up from their presence. He had to leave and go do what? He had to cry. His heart is breaking because he has been alienated from his family. He has been alienated from his mother. He's been alienated from his father. His brothers, he already had a sense of alienation from because they hated him. But even more so now, as they have done this thing to him. And there is this desire in him to be reunited with them. He wants to reveal himself to them. He wants to pour out grace upon them. He wants to bring them under the shadow of his wings. He wants to bring them to Egypt and give them the best of the land and protect them from this famine that's going to last, as we know, for seven years that will destroy many. That's his desire. And it is that longing that drives Joseph to take action. Now, this is where the similitude of last week does not carry forth in here because God's not going to lie about us or, or set up things like that. But Joseph as a man, Joseph as a man, desiring to be reconciled with his family, takes action that will make what his greatest desire is come to pass. He wants to reveal himself to his brothers. He wants to have them come before him and know him, to know him even as he knows them. That's his desire. And so this is what he's doing. He says, okay, here's the silver cup. He says, put this in Benjamin's sack. He goes, I I'm going to bring this. I'm going to bring this to the forefront now where they can't avoid me any longer. I I'm going to make it so they can't hide from their sin anymore. Because before he can really have fellowship with them, they need to be brought to that place of repentance, don't they? I mean, seriously, how, how can you... 
hey guys, what's up, bros? And pretend like nothing ever happened. You can't, can you? There are certain things that will happen in our lives that make it impossible for us to go back to a place of just innocence and joy and everything's wonderful unless reconciliation has been made, unless repentance has come, unless brokenness has been brought forth in their lives. And so I believe this morning, God, like Joseph, is longing to reveal himself to us. He's longing to reveal himself to us. He, he desires for us to understand his character. He wants so badly to bless us from the fullness of his richness, the richness of his goodness and grace. That's his desire this morning, but we don't always allow this, do we? In the same way that the brothers, they had a past sin, they had sinned against Joseph, and right now their eyes are blinded. Even though Joseph is standing right in front of them, even though they've eaten with him, they've talked with him, there's something that's still standing between them and a relationship with their brother. And in the same way, many times, we do not allow God to reveal himself in our lives as he desires, do we? Many times there are things that we just keep in our lives that we won't let go of, that we won't, we won't rid ourselves of, that keep us from that place of communion, of relationship, of fellowship with God. The distractions must be removed from our lives so we can hear his voice. And this thing that Joseph is doing to his brothers, uh, you can sit there and go, gosh, you know, that's, that's kind of harsh, man. That's, that's heavy. But these brothers have to be brought to a place where they can finally have the joy of being reconciled with their brother, knowing that he is not dead, that he is well, that he has forgiven them. And no, remember, as we've watched these brothers throughout this whole thing, they, they, they have this guilty conscience with them, don't they? They have this guilty conscience plaguing them. Oh, God is doing this. God is against us. God has done this. They're going to come to this place where they know that they are absolutely wrong, and yet they're going to be so humbled by the grace that, that Joseph is going to offer them. Look with me to verse 3. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and they were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. Now, this is one of those places where I begin to really feel for the brothers of Joseph because here they are, they're leaving the city. They, they literally just had this feast set for a king. They're literally eating from Joseph's table. He's the number two guy under Pharaoh only, right? So they had this amazing time. They're rejoicing. Simeon's out of the dungeon now. They're all there. It says that they drank and were merry and they've got their food now, everything's good, all of the stress that has been building to this moment is all past them, and they're heading out of the city now, rejoicing. Sometimes we have to be brought to the highest high before we can be brought to the lowest low, huh? Sometimes if everything's just going great, or maybe things are bad, and then, you know, suffering and trauma happens in our lives, then it's like, well, what, what's new? Every, you know, everything's been bad. But when 
bad things have been happening, and then all of a sudden, amazing, beautiful, wonderful, exceptional things happen, and then from that plateau, we fall to the very basis place in our lives, that is when the true brokenness happens, huh? And many times, it's only at our lowest low that we can be brought to a place of brokenness, that we can come to a place where we finally are willing to listen and hear, and these brothers, that's the tale of their story. They, they absolutely, they, they've been lying so long. They have been, they, they have been living this lie that, oh, you know, Joseph, you know, he was eaten by wolves or something or lions or something got him. Father, is this his coat? Is this your son's coat? They've been living a lie for so long that they need, they need to break. They need to be broken. And at first, when I first looked at this, I was like, gosh, you know, it almost seems cruel that Joseph let them get out of the city. I was like, why didn't he just like call them out right now? Why didn't he just say, oh, you, know, you guys are thieves and do whatever? But he literally let them leave the city. They're on their way, and you're going to see in just a moment the absolute utter brokenness of these men. And yet for these guys, this is what is necessary to remove the dross from their lives. This is the thing that is necessary to take those worthless things, those spiritually destructive things, and, and we haven't seen all the brothers, but we saw Judah, and his life has been anything but grace and wonderful and beauty, right? This guy has been destructive, self-destructive, spiritually destructive his whole life. And it is this event that is going to radically shape him forever. And it is not until then, it is not until that place of brokenness that Joseph is going to let up. And it's not until we come to a place of brokenness that God will remove us from the refiner's fire when he can finally look upon us and see his reflection clearly in us. These poor guys. <laughs> look at me, verse 6. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he, that is the steward, said, Now also let it be according to your words, he with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. <laughs> Why does my Lord say these words? These guys, they don't know what is going on. I mean, these guys have to feel right now that their lives are completely out of control. I mean, they're just, th imagine what they've been through, right? They, they don't know up from down by now. They, they do not know what's going on because to begin with, I mean, let, let's, let's go back to, way, to the, where their story kind of picks up. Great famine in the land. They find out there's bread in Egypt, so they're driven by the famine to Egypt. There, they meet the, the Lord of the land, who is angry at them for apparently no cause whatsoever, treats them harshly, throws them in a dungeon for three days, yells at them, is harsh with them, then pulls them out and says, okay, I'm going to let all of you go except him. Bind him. They wrap Simeon up. They throw him in the dungeon. He says, now go back and get your brother and you bring him here. And he implied that if you don't, Simeon's a dead man. So then these guys leave, they, go out, they have to tell this news to their dad, their dad freaks out, it's like, oh my goodness, the Lord is against me, everything's against me, they find their money, they're freaking out, I mean, just think of the stress that these guys are going through, and then finally they run out of food, which again, the famine drives them back to Joseph, 
And so then they go, and yes, they, they go with Benjamin this time, and they get back to Egypt, and they're probably thinking, oh, he's going to be mean to us again. And instead of him like coming harshly at them, he doesn't say a word to them, but says, says to his steward, hey, a feast now for them. I'm going to eat with them. And they have this great, amazing time. Simeon's released. Everything's glorious. Everything's wonderful. Then they leave once again with blessing, only to be stopped just outside the city once again to be accused of stealing from that very Lord. Can you imagine what, I mean, these guys, their emotional roller coasters, like boom, 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 up, down, up, down. They don't know what is going on. Verse 11, it says, Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground. Of course, they, they, they want to show that they, are, that they are not guilty of this. And each opened his sack. So he, that's the steward again, he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. What do you do when your whole world shatters in a moment? What do you do when your whole life implodes around you? What do you do when the worst-case scenario becomes your life? What do you do? Two choices. These brothers had two choices. Do you hope beyond hope when there is no hope that God will somehow do something miraculous? intervene on your behalf, change the circumstances, change the environment which your life is in right now? Do you hope, do you hold on to that even though it seems impossible? Or do you fall apart? Do you give in to hopeless mourning? Do you retreat so far within yourself that nobody can find you, not even your family? What do you do? These men are at this place where I mean, what do they do? They tore their clothes when the sack was, was when the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And, and notice, notice what the steward did. Did he just go straight to Benjamin? Did he go to like maybe one, two, just to make it look random, and then pull it from Benjamin? No, no. He started at the oldest, and he went down. Can you imagine the stress building? It's kind of like even if you you didn't do something wrong, or maybe you're giving like a. A, a, a oral report in, in high school. You guys remember those? You guys remember those? Do you remember when you're, because if the teacher was doing it randomly and you're wondering, is he going to pick me? Is she going to pick me? And you're kind of freaking out. The, the nerves are all building up within you. It's like, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And then it seems like, okay, there's only, uh, there's only time for one more. And that one more goes by and you're just like, phew, got passed today. And he goes, no, oh, you know what? We do have time for one more. And they call your name. Okay, that's where these guys are right now, only in a, a lot more severe of a situation. What are you going to do? Because even for men and women who have the hope of heaven, even for men and women who have the glorious knowledge that Jesus Christ died for them, even for them, sometimes hope is exhausting. Have you guys ever experienced that, where hope is exhausting? I have. I was actually having this conversation with the Lord just a couple days ago. I mean, you guys know Trinity's situation. And I was just sitting there, and Heidi and I were talking, and we were talking about Sarah. And so, you know, for the most part, we've been talking about, oh, this is the way I feel. This is the emotions that I've been going through. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking about Sarah, who shares the room with Trinity. And all of a sudden, I just started, I just started getting very emotional. I'm like breaking down. I was like, poor Sarah. 
little sunshine Sarah who, who's always like, how are you doing this morning, Sarah? Great. And she's always coming up, you're doing a great job. Anybody had that, have her say something like that to you? Walk up to you and it's like, you did a really good job painting today. Well done. If she comes up, she likes to encourage everything. And I was thinking about Sarah and how I allowed myself to go down that road, which I don't like to let myself go down that road too often. But I allowed myself to go down that road of thinking, okay, if the Lord doesn't intervene, what's Sarah going to go through? What's she going to be? Is she going to want to stay in her room? Is she going to want the other sisters to come in and move in with her? Is she going to be able to sleep at night? You know, Livy's at that five-year-old stage where it's like, when she dies, can I have her toys? She's literally asked that twice. Chloe, if Trinity dies, won't remember her very much, maybe just like a, a sense of Trinity. But Sarah knows Trinity. They're best friends. They do everything together. And I was sitting there just thinking about that. And as after Heidi and I finished talking about it, I just sat up and I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm just praying to the Lord. And I was just like, Lord, hoping is exhausting. Hoping for an answer, hoping for something to change is exhausting. It's like, will, will it come? Will it come? Will it not come? How should I prepare myself? What should I be thinking? How should I be praying? And, and that hope itself was exhausting. And yet, sometimes, and even at that moment, I was just, I was being real, very real before the Lord. It's like, Lord, sometimes I just want to give up. Sometimes I just want to give in to hopelessness. Sometimes I want to give in to just mourning. Because mourning is easier than waiting, isn't it? Mourning is easier than waiting. What will I do? What will you do in that day and in that time? Go ahead and turn to Psalm 91. As I was sitting there having this conversation with the Lord. I did something that I've done every once in a while in my walk, not very often, and I wouldn't suggest doing this every time that you have a question before the Lord, but I did one of these. I let my Bible drop open to see where it was, and it landed right here on Psalm 91, and I want to read it. I'm going to read the whole Psalm to you. That's why I asked you to turn there, because I'm tipping my, my, my hand a little bit to you right now about this message. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place." No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In that moment, midnight, 1230, whenever it was, as I was crying out to the Lord, I'm just, just walking down that path. The Lord spoke, yeah, it's hard to hope, Brian. It's hard to wait. But keep hoping. Keep waiting. The Lord is your refuge, and he will cover you. You will be overshadowed by the power of the Almighty. His feathers will be your shield, his truth. When you come to this place where these men are right now, now, if they had lived lives that were truly after Abraham and Isaac, their father, if they had lives of faith that they were experienced and trusting in God, running with the footmen, that they might be prepared to run with the horses as they're doing now, things would be a little bit different. But where do they, where do they find themselves? All they could do was, oh, God is against us again. And they tear their clothes in their morning because this is the worst case scenario. This is when your life becomes the nightmare. That's where these men are at this moment. And that's why I said, just guys, you know what? I, I, in one sense, justly, I should say, you know what? They're getting what they deserve. But you know what? I can't help but to feel for these men. I can't help to feel for them because they are coming to this place of utter brokenness. And that is never something that should be laughed at or like, or looked at in a haughty way. These men are coming to the breaking point of their very souls. And we should be sad for them. We should mourn with them, weep with those who weep. Verse 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. Of course he was. He was waiting for them. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also, with whom the cup was found. What shall we say? What shall we say in that day? These men have come to the end of themselves. And guys, there are no words in that place. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there are no words. And those who have been there, you know, there are no words. There are no words. They believe that they are innocent of this crime. They know they are. They didn't do it. And yet, and yet they believe God is judging us because of the sin that we committed against Joseph, and they are absolutely undone. They're undone. I've been to that place where these men are. I know it well. I've been there three times in my life. Three times at the complete, the utter end of myself, I've been there. The first time was at my salvation, when the Lord allowed me to see my sin through his eyes. And in that day, at that night, when as I collapsed on the floor and I was weeping and crying, there were no words. There was no more justification because I always, I always 
made myself believe, oh, you're a good guy. You're better than, than this guy over here. But in that place, when I was brought to the end of myself, in that day when I saw my sin, just as these men, they said, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. They have been brought to the end of themselves, and there are no words. How are you going to defend yourself? When you stand before God in that day, how are you going to defend yourself? We already saw that Joseph wouldn't have received his brothers. Remember they brought a gift from Canaan? The pistachios and the honey and all that kind of stuff. We already saw that, that he wouldn't receive the gift from them unless Benjamin was there. If Benjamin wasn't there, he would have thrown them out. Or worse, thrown them into the dungeon. And in the same way, how are we going to stand before a holy and righteous God and say, Lord, here, receive the gift of our works outside of Christ? We can't. We can't. We will be absolutely silent. We won't say one word except, amen. Second time is when uh, young William Simonian died. Those good friends, I've shared it before. Uh, some friends of our family, their 19-month-old son suddenly died, no cause of death, anything like that. And 20 minutes after he was declared dead, I was there in the emergency room with them. And I remember Amanda looked at me and just said, why did this happen, Brian? Through tears and sobs, and there were no words in that moment. And we sat there for hours just crying, watching this family hold their now dead son in their arms, trying to remember what he felt like before they said goodbye to him for the last time. And then finally, the third time, was in that ICU room after Trinity surgery, after her brain surgery. And just sitting there, hearing her voice, which has always been so powerful, so weak. I came to the other end of myself there too. And you know, I don't like that place. And any, any of you who might have been there, have, have ever tre tread on those waters, it's not a fun place to be. But you know what? I will give this to you guys who have not been there. When you come to the end of yourself, if you are willing, God will meet you there. Because in each of those instances, God met me there. And he brought his comfort and his grace and his peace to me. That's where these men are. That's where they are today. Verse 17. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. <laughs> go up in peace to your father. Two choices. Two choices are set before these men now. They are now at the crossroads of their very lives. They have one path, the path that is selfishness. That path that is forever dominated by the devil and their flesh, their sin nature. And they have another path, the path of selflessness. And that path is a path forever guided and strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God. These men are standing at the crossroads. What will I do? What will I do in that moment? Because Joseph is giving them the out, isn't he? He says, no, 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 I, I don't need all of you all. He's the guilty party. He'll be my slave. They have the out, and these two choices are set before them now. What will I do? What will I do? In verse 18, Joseph 
or I'm sorry, Judah seeks a personal audience with Judah. In verses 19 through 26, Judah reviews the whole account of everything that has happened to him up until this day. Okay, something's going on in Judah. He's buying time. He's, uh, something's building within him, something that is in his heart, but I don't think he's quite ready to do what he's thinking about doing. Look at verse 27. Judah continues, he says, Then your servant, my father, speaking of Jacob, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, that's Rachel. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since, speaking of Joseph. But if you take this one also from me, speaking of Benjamin, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Judah is about to do something that's going to change his life forever. Look at verse 30. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees the lad is not with us that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. This is the first time in the life of Judah that we have seen him genuinely thinking of anybody else other than himself. He, he's made kind of like just mention, oh yeah, my father, he's sad about the whole thing at the first meeting, but that was more out of fear. But we see something changing in Judah now where he is literally, he, he, he's really looking at like, no, 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 this can't be because now the stakes have been raised. It's no longer just, oh, we might spend a couple nights in jail. This is a life sentence. If Benjamin is convicted for this crime, which he's already been, judge and jury right there, he's going to be the slave of Zaphnat Benaiah for life. He will never come home to his father again. And Judah is now looking upon these things and he's like, no. I saw the pain on my, on my father's face when we lied to him about Joseph. We saw the heartbreak. We saw how his life came collapsing down. And he's like, I can't do that again. I can't see that again. I can't witness that again. And Judah, for the first time, probably in his life, is thinking about somebody other than himself. That His heart is softening now. And then he confesses his responsibility. He says, your servant became surety for the lad. He said, I made a, a vow before my father that whatever happens, I would take his place. Whatever calamity may befall him, he says, I am responsible. It'll be held at my hand. You see what he's warming up to? Do you see what Judah is doing? Can, can you begin to see the workings of his mind where he's going with this? Have you ever had anything like really huge that you needed to tell somebody, but you were afraid to do it? What do you do? You start with small talk, don't you? Don't you? You start with small talk because why? You're afraid to say it. You know you must. You know you have to, but you're afraid to do it. And that's Judah. He's sitting there. He's talking about, he's, he, he didn't have to review the whole history. He already reviewed the whole history before. The first time they met Joseph. Joseph, this is an old hat. He knows this story. What's Judah doing? He's trying to work up the courage to do what he knows that he, that he must. Judah now has two choices. And this is and forever will be after this, the defining moment of Judah's life. 
Will he keep his word to his father, even to his own harm? Or will he go back on his word and leave Benjamin to his fate? Now, Judah has no idea that this is Joseph and that the whole thing is aroused. This is reality for Judah. And this is going to be a character-defining moment in his life that will ever change his destiny. We also in this congregation have two choices. As this morning, we know that we're going to be partaking of communion, remembering the Lord's Supper, remembering the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the price that he paid for our salvation, that we may have access to God the Father. Will we give ourselves completely to the Lord, serving him rather than ourselves, walking worthy of the calling with which we have been called to, saved by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Or will we continue to walk with God at arm's length, never daring to hope beyond hope, never willing to wait for his deliverance, a path forever dominated by the devil and our own sin natures? What will we choose this day? Two choices, two roads are set before us. What will we choose? What will we choose? We've seen many choices throughout this section of Scripture, haven't we? We've seen many choices set before people, and indeed, we make choices every single day. Every day, we have to decide what we will do in this way or that. Will we do what is right what will we do what is holy and pleasing to God? Or will we serve ourselves? Will we do the things that please us? And this morning, we have two choices, two roads set before us. And what we choose this morning will forever change our lives. This morning can be a defining moment in our lives. Will we finally give ourselves completely to the Lord? For those of you who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ, are you walking in the fullness of what he has for you this morning? Are you his and not your own? Is that where you are this morning? Because that's where you need to be. And if you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, then his grace, his grace is extended to you. He desires fellowship with you. He desires to walk with you to be your strength, your shield, your fortress. Verse 33. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Now, therefore, please. He's begging Joseph. In the moment of decision, Judah is begging Joseph, let me take his place. Let me be your slave forever for the rest of my life. I'll never see my family again. Everything that I've worked for my whole life, throw it away. Only let the boy go. Let him return to my father that my father would not go to his grave in utter hopeless mourning. That is the choice that Judah made. And though it was hard, though it was difficult, he gave of himself freely, didn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, 
Now, this is conjecture, and, and take it for what it is, but I believe that Jesus Christ, well, I know that he gave himself willingly. He, he, he didn't go to the cross on accident. Nobody took his life from him. He gave it willingly. But you know what? I believe in heaven he was probably having a conversation with his father. Father, please, let me do this. Let me take their place. Let me die on their behalf that they might be saved. And within the counsels of God, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this was pleasing and right and good before the foundations of the world were ever laid. But he, knowing the end from the beginning, saw each one of us. He saw every one of our lives. He saw the things that we would do. He saw the failures. And he saw the potentials of our lives. And I believe he said, please let me do this. Please let me save them that they may have fellowship with us. This morning, we remember what it cost Jesus to do that very thing. This morning, we partake of the bread and the cup, the cup of redemption in the Passover feast, the afikomen, the bread that was broken for him, for us, his body broken for us. This morning, if you have chosen Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then partake freely. Eat of the bread, drink of the cup, for it was shed for you, and it is for you. If this morning, if you have any doubt in your mind, and the Lord is moving you to receive him, then receive him and partake. But if you do not know the Lord this morning, then I would say, watch. Watch, for this is the covenant. This is the new covenant that was written in the blood of Christ. And when we take the, the bread, which is the symbol of Christ's body, when we take the, the grape juice, which is the symbol of his blood, we're eating and drinking his death into ourselves that we might also remember as he was raised on the third day that he has risen us to new life as well. Father, we thank you so much for this, your word. Lord, you are so gracious to us, so amazing. Father, we just pray that you would minister to us, your people now. Lord, you said on the night of your glory, Lord, that you have longed for this meal, for this supper. You desired to have it with your disciples. And Lord, this morning, I believe that you desire to have it here with us now. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us now, Lord, as we worship you, as we remember you. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would just be here among us, that we would be conscious of your presence. Lord, we need you. Help us to understand how much we truly need you. Scott and the girls are going to play a couple of songs. And at the end of those couple of songs, we're going to partake of the bread together. This is an amazing time where we can just come into the presence of the Lord, even as Joseph and his, 
and his brothers were all there in his dwelling. They were all there together eating from his table. This is the Lord's table. And if you are in Christ, if you have Benjamin there at your side, then you may eat freely from his table, from his grace and mercy. Let us partake together.